Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Okay, everyone, welcome to the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. My name is Dr. Bobby Maybe. And before we get started with our guest, Carolyn Bolt, we want to do a little bit of housekeeping. The first part of housekeeping is do not forget our virtual summit. It is Forward 2022. Every year we do a live event and a virtual event. The virtual event is coming up October 8th and 9th. We've got something like over a dozen speakers, presenters. Uh, presenters have bonuses. Uh, there are six hours of continuing education credit online for those that are eligible for online continuing education credit. All those details you got to check out at the website. You can go to forwardthinkingchiro.com to get a link to the virtual summit landing page. Um, great time. We do it every year. Every year, like I said, we do a virtual event, we do a live event uh, because not everyone can travel to our live events all the time. We got uh, kids and work and pandemics and all these other things that prevent us from traveling. Um, so it's a good time and it's a good way to learn. And it's a good way to pick up and keep up pace on what everyone else is talking about in our industry. Speaking of our industry, uh, I'm excited to talk to Carolyn because I've recently, ma'am, this is so far up your alley. You know how these podcast things work is sometimes I'll seek out a guest and sometimes the guests seek us out or they have like agents that will book the guests for us. And I've been really into the, what's called like the patient experience or the customer experience lately. And a lot of that I've been reading is about the design, how, how much your design elements influence the patient experience and the aesthetics of your office uh, uh, sort of frame the experience for the patient. And then your agent booked you. I mean, we've worked together before in the Chiropractic Success Academy of virtual summits uh, with Dr. Kevin Christie and myself, and you've presented there, and it was an awesome presentation. Um, And I might throw that in as a bonus for folks. If they want to check that out, I might, on this podcast, I'll throw in a bonus link so that they can watch that as well if they're tuned into this, Um, because that was a great presentation. I don't think, I think more eyes should see it, because Quite frankly, Carolyn, in our audience that we're talking to right now, there are there are people that are right up your alley. They have offices that might need um, what would you call it? Redesign, refurbishment, <laughs> a little bit TLC. There are some people that are launching themselves into practice, and then there is this large amount of people, doctors, chiropractors, that have sort of like these one room closet type offices that have no um, they, they haven't considered the importance of aesthetics whatsoever or design one, because they can't. And two, they just never thought it was important. They just thought it was like, I need to get an office open and just start working on people and that'll take care of everything else. So with that in mind, all that's done and talked about, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm (laughs) glad to be here. And my first softball question to get warmed up is why is design important in the healthcare space? So design 
of your environment is an impact will impact how people react in a space. The design of any environment will react. <clears throat> people will, there's a psychology within the space when people come into a space on how they how they act, what they think, what their perception, everything. And so what our mission or my mission became um, was that we wanted to elevate the chiropractic profession so that more people would see it as the go-to doctor to go to. And the pandemic has actually seemed to have helped that. And um, from what we can tell, but back 20 years ago, when I started working with Life University in the chiropractic world, I saw that they, the chiropractors just really needed to elevate their image to the patients. And one of the only, one of the biggest things is their environment when people walk into a space. So you asked me about healthcare, would you think about where you shop and the environments that you shop in? And how, when you walk into that store, if the environment of that store does not match with your perception of what you want to purchase in that store and how much you want to pay and how much, what you want to get out of it, then there's a disconnect and you're more than likely won't even shop there. So that's what we're doing in the, in the health, you know, with chiropractors and healthcare is just making sure that, that environment, it's your biggest marketing expense. So let's make sure it works for you and not against you. Yeah, one thing I find interesting, especially with chiropractors, is we deal with so many people that are in pain. And when you when you understand what they call the pain science or mm. what what pain is, it's you know, it's sort of the the most layman way to explain it is pain is your brain's sort of uh, assessment of the environment, right? Am I in mm. danger or am I safe? Mm. Okay. So when when the brain starts to determine that the threshold of danger has been exceeded in a body part, uh, in an environment around you, if the, if that danger, uh, threshold has been exceeded, then pain is a possibility. Pain can happen, which I find ironic in, in this mindset is that I'll walk into some chiropractor's offices. And one of the things I'll assess is does this place would this place put off an aura of safety? Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Ver versus, so there's a couple of ways this can go bad, right? So a lot of, a lot of chiropractors are really into movement, rehabilitation, exercise, promoting exercise, promoting strength and stability. And the first thing you see when you walk in to their office is like a barbell or a lifting stand or a bunch of weights. And I'm, I'm thinking of somebody who's been in pain before, and I'm thinking of people who are in pain. And if they walk in and that's the first thing they see, I don't think that exudes the image of safety because they're first, they're like, oh my God, they're going to make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it hurts just to bend down and tie my shoes. Yes. Um, how many, so there are lots of different types of chiropractors. How many chiropractors have you all experienced at Crossfields that do rehabilitation versus your standard sort of uh manual type of chiropractic? Um, I'd say, <clears throat> I'd say probably 50% or more. Sure. Go now, up, are more than just your straight chiropractic. They do something else. And a lot of it is that rehabilitation post 
therapy, active therapy. There's a lots of names for it. Sure. Is there therapies, et cetera? I'm sorry. So I'm talking in your design, no, in your design experience, do you address that? Is what I just sort of hinted at kind of a top of a mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, so as we process through the design of an office, the very, very first thing we're going to discover is what is the image you want to portray to attract and who is that? ideal patient because the design of your office needs to be to your ideal patient. So let me give you an example. If you want to attract people in the sports industry and they are for them to walk in and see a gym type environment in front of them might actually create the safety that you're looking for. Now you don't want to create, and, and the same thing that you're saying about pain, if they're in a lot of pain, they probably don't need to see it fr- up front in their face, but they wouldn't be, they may be gain trust by seeing that as part of your facility. So knowing who your ideal patient is and who you're trying to serve is key. It's key to marketing. It's key to the creation of your environment. It's key to everything. So that would be the very first thing you address. On the other hand, you have someone that is not used to physical their physical activity and you they're in a lot of pain and you know that you're going to have some active physical therapy as part of their recovery, but that patient, let's just say they're the mom that has lots of little kids and they're stressed out to the max. They don't need anything in front of them. That's going to look like more stress, right? So you just need right. to be very careful of what you present. First thing you see when you are that first impression, when people walk in is it, it's just like the, the packages of boxes on a shelf. You know, if you go down a shelf in a grocery store and look for your favorite, whatever, let's call it cereal, those boxes are going to attract you to what you're looking for. And that's what you're going to pick up. So that's what your environment does for you. So or against you. <laughs> I when I was in college, I worked in a grocery store. Yeah. And I I I I've read plenty about the whole grocery store science. And you know, you have the you have the essentials that people need to have in the back uh-huh. and all the garbage is in the front uh-huh. and the stuff you really want people to buy is at eye level. Uh-huh. So are they pay extra L- for that? Yes. And the there's a, there's a premium. Yes, there's Absolutely. a premium for that for end caps and yes. to have the center shelf. Are there things in, in practice design that you want to have at eye level that are more accessible for people to see versus not? Well, you're not really, well, I'm going to say this. I said, you're not really selling product, but some people do. Some people have a very product driven practice. So they would use that same psychology if they're doing supplements or they're doing uh, therapy equipment, et cetera. But I think that to me, the first thing that people walk in and see it is at eye level. So is it the logo? Is it the people behind the front desk? We talk a lot about having your people behind your front desk at a stand-up position or a yes. stool position because that creates a sense of hospitality and more face-to-face interaction. Um, and at the same time, I say that if people are going to be behind the front desk and spending hours and hours and hours working, sitting, they don't need to be in a, a raised position either. So you have to weigh that out. But that first impression, how do you create that best first impression that's going to be, and it is at eye level. 
it is definitely at eye level, which is about 60 inches, 66 inches high. Here's some, I'm the last person in the world anyone should take design advice from, but here's some, <laughs> here's some advice. I am colorblind as, as proven by the United States Air Force. Okay. You can't have any cool jobs, Mr. Maybe you, you don't see color. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to work in the hospital now. Um, here, here's some advice I give people, members of the Chiropractic Success Academy, uh, and you can agree or disagree so I can change my advice to them. So you do know that a lot of chiropractors will use their, their wall space for posters, uh, educational material, things of that nature. So I tell them, uh, first and foremost, whatever they put on their wall in their office should be focused on their ideal client, like we just discussed. Absolutely. And it should be focused on their mission. Uh, and the focus of their practice, and that should be what's at eye level. So when people are in their office and they're looking around and their eyes wander, their eyes always see something that's focused on ideal patients, focus of practice, uh, and there shouldn't be many other distracting type of pieces of artwork or posters in the place. Doesn't mean don't have artwork, because I can. I'm going to ask you a question about artwork later, but the primary focus of what everybody can see should be at an eye level. And in combination with that, so it's kind of like a two-part piece of advice, your floor should technically be dark and your walls should be lighter so that the eyes are brought up to those posters and that artwork and people focus on it more. Okay. Agree or disagree, and then you can make your modifications as an expert professional. Well, um, about the dark floor and the light floor, I don't know if that, I understand the philosophy of it, but I think you, that's not going to dictate where people look. It's going to support it or not support it. So if you don't have any other options, it's a great thing to do. Does that make right. sense? But yes. we can create a lot of, it's the contrast that people see first. So gotcha. it could be, if you think about a museum, it's typically white walls so that the art is what you are looking at is that display. So it's the contrast people see, whether it's a bright color on the wall or whether it's a dark color on the wall or whether it's the logo, that's what you see first. So even if you don't see color, you see contrast, right? Right. Oh right. yes. And then yes. and then not being colorblind is a puts a different perspective in it, but you're not the majority. So the majority of people are can see color, right? So that must be amazing. Huh? Do what? That must be amazing. <laughs> but color is color has a super psychology to it. There's all yeah. kinds of psychology behind the different colors, from the warm colors to the cool colors to the healing, and there's philosophies of all of that. So it's what you want your patients to look at. I you want me to talk about art a second and give you my philosophy? Yes, yes. So my philosophy is coming from being a patient. And uh, I've been a chiropractic patient for 30 something years. And, um, but when I first became a chiropractic patient, I was scared to death. I didn't know. And this was 30 something years ago. So it, chiropractic. Oh, was, and you should be. We're butchers. We're animals. <laughs> you know, Absolute savages. <laughs> I didn't understand. Um, Everybody dies. You can go in, but you never leave. Right. Exactly. But um, it, the, uh, that my first experience with chiropractic was not a positive environment, 
Yeah. My experience, my chiropractic experience was positive. It was actually a student at Life University, but Life University's public clinic back then was horrid. It was sure. horrible. And if I wasn't paying but a few pennies to get, you know, because chiropractic patients as a, as a student, there's not very much money. I was right. okay paying, I think it was like $10 to get adjusted because the environment didn't ask for anything more. Right. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yes. So what, what about that environment? So as a patient, um, and once again, you have to know your ideal patient, but if your ideal patient is, um, you know, I think very typically we see the female in their forties that has the family that's trying to get, get better health is a very common ideal patient, or we have another direction, like you're talking about sports or whatever, whatever you're doing in that environment needs to create trust and not a huge amount of sales. Right. So trust would, in, in our impression would be, I need to feel comfortable and safe. Like you just said it safe. And that typically means that my waiting room has a sense of similarity to my home or where I shop on a regular basis, et cetera. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes. So, um, so my philosophy and what I've instilled on my design staff is that the art in your immediate waiting area is art. It's not, as I'm going to kindly say, chiropractic propaganda. Do you right. follow me? Yep. It is art. And it may be art that has an essence of health and well-being and or it may be subtly, um, you know, I love seeing like families together that are healthy and happy and, and invoking something that you want, something that that, that patient wants when they come in. That's a very positive thing. But just to have a spinal nerve chart in front of them, showing them everything, wait till they get into the exam room for that. So it's the idea they come in and they feel safe. And as they progress as a new patient, as they progress along the corridors, they maybe see, I love to see testimonials and things that they begin to develop trust. So it's no like and trust, right? How do you develop that trust? So they come along and then they get into the exam room. Then there's education information <clears throat> that they, you know, they be, you want them to absorb as much as they can once they get into that exam and consultation room. So that's my philosophy. Yeah. So you know, that's awesome because you're talking about waiting rooms and exam rooms. And if we do want to go back to the supermarket anal uh, analogy, it still works because when you walk into a custom crafted supermarket, like a whole paycheck or one of those Trader Joe's, yeah. I mean, you walk in and the first thing you're going to see are flowers, like gift baskets, lots of color, the, the right. stationery. Those are the first things you see. And then, so when you walk into a practice, the first thing you're going to see is the color, the welcoming things, the, the things that make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Then some of the things you might need along the way are there as you walk through the store or the practice. So the testimonials, um, the staff saying hello, the, the vegetables, the rice and beans. <laughs> and then in the back, are the things that you actually really need, the meat, the dairy, <laughs> uh, and all that sort of stuff. Like the the now the lifting platform, 
the consultation room, the down and dirty stuff is in the back. That's the idea. Now, here's a problem. Okay. A lot of our audience here, Carolyn, a lot of our audience here that, that are listening to this, they have, a, they have a store, they have a one-room store. They have one aisle. They have a place literally where people just walk into and it's just like a room. They might have two rooms and they might have two rooms in a hallway. Uh, I think you have a lot of extra room to play in design when you have, just like in a house, right? Like I have a three bedroom, three bath house with two living rooms and a kitchen. Like there's a lot more, like it's painted a lot of different colors. I don't know the exact colors, but there are a lot of colors. I know that because they're different shades. Yeah. And the, the, the couch, like my wife uh, and my mother-in-law and everyone who's helped design the home, not me, <laughs> have done, done wonderful things with texture, like you said, and depth and depth of color because you have different rooms where you can approach those different things. And I, I, you know, if I gave you an office that had a bunch of those different spaces, I'm, I'm going to automatically say you're going to knock it out of the park. But what about folks that just have one room? What are they going to do? Or just so- two rooms? So one room, two rooms, um, not, not unusual, but what you want to do is you want to think about what it is that you first see when you walk in and that's where you need to, and just imagine, I'm just going to give you an example. Imagine that the first wall that someone sees when they go in is your opportunity to create that initial welcoming environment where the last wall they see is the meat. Do you follow me? Yeah. So just, you can do that. You can create that in your own environment. So it doesn't, it has to be connected. If you have one room, it has to have a sense of connectivity. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what all that would be, but you would not want that, that new patient. If you're good, if that's all you have is one room and you have a new patient come in, you need to have them, you're, you're going to go through an exam situation with them. You need to make them feel comfortable. Do they have a comfortable chair to sit in? Do they have a, what does it take? What does it take for you to help them feel comfortable to begin with? I mean, you're going to take history on them. I'm assuming you're going to have some kind of communication with them to get them to trust you. So, and I'm just going to say this, one of the, one of the biggest things that people see is disconnection and clutter as a negative. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So I would say if you have one room, keep it clean, keep it consistently designed, keep it connected, keep it not too busy, especially if you have one room and just keep it very simple, as simple as you can. Now, I can't imagine if you have one room, how much extra equipment you have in it, more than just a table and some things. You might have to tell me everything that's in it, but do whatever you can so it's laid out so it's the most appealing when you first walked in. It's the least, let me use this word, the least scary. Yeah, it's anxiety. And anxiety is a contributor to pain and contributor to the experience. And you walk in and nothing would be more anxiety raising to me than just see it like a stack of papers, right? Or open, open files, you know, like a, a file folder holder type of thing that's just yes. got papers falling out of it. Yes. Uh, so all that stuff's got to be hidden. Exactly. Well, we talk about your front desk and um, in, a, in a larger practice that would have a front desk as opposed to one room, but it's the same philosophy is that if you can hide that equipment behind a wall 
are underneath something or whatever, get the equipment out of the way, get all the papers out, keep it clean. And you don't need, this is one of my pet peeves, every, you walk in and you have 15 different brochure holders of different events and different things that are going on. The, the person yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. see, but one at a time. So just have one for the month, not everything that's going on. You know, they can go to your website and dig through things. You can give them a brochure yeah. or something, but just keep it simple and focused. I remember okay, those I'm gonna days. Use, I'm going to use an example. This is an example I use when we teach students at Life and at Palmer, Florida. And um, what we talk about is that imagine you're in no criticism to these stores, just very, very, very different ideal clients, ideal patients. Um, Walmart and a Giorgio Armani. You walk into Walmart, it's very intentionally designed that way bright lights there's there's signage everywhere you don't expect great service you expect a great deal they that model that environment is i'm the low price leader you feel a little right. bit like you're in a garage sale and that's on purpose to feel that way okay now you turn it the other way around and you look at a Giorgio Armani and I'm not saying our chiropractors need to be one or the other. They, they find their place in between and they might want to be a Walmart. I don't know. Walmart makes a lot of money. So that's really important. Right. That may be what they want to do, but they have right. to design to that. But you go to the other extreme, like a, a high-end designer store, you have very, very little product displayed. You definitely don't have pricing anywhere to see you have to ask somebody for the pricing it's not displayed everywhere it's very focused think about that that high-end piece of jewelry it's a big box with one piece of jewelry in it so that's the kind of difference that the psychology of design can make to influence the buying of of the client and the patient that's going to be there because you yeah. are selling you're selling how dare you how dare you <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been beating around the punchline a little bit here and the people who are listening to get it, get it. But there are going to be people who are listening that might not get it. The, the punchline here is, of course, there are a lot of chiropractors out there that feel like they offer really high service, really high quality. They offer a really high level of their expertise and their care and their energy into practice. And then they, but they're doing it out of a Walmart type of practice, looking practice. And they're wondering why they can't charge more, why people don't pay more, why people disrespect this high level of service, why they cancel appointments, uh, why they argue about their bill all the time, why they can't get people to commit to the care plans that they give them, even if it's just six visits of trial care. They're like, why, why is all this stuff happening to me? And they don't realize that a lot of it is presentation. It's uh, the punchline here is perceived value. That's the punchline and the design elements of your office absolutely contribute to it. it does. That's what, that's what we're saying here. Now, is there proof to that? Cause these people are like, is there proof? And you're like, well, hell yeah, there's proof <laughs> because people with high value practices have a high value of uh, aesthetic or design element in the practice and the ones that don't, don't. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, I, I've definitely worked at a, a Walmart practice as an associate that did a very high volume 
And yes, things were much more bare bones and uh, the prices were a little bit lower and it looked like a Walmart and it had the volume of Walmart. And we, we probably should have put in the electric door in the front where you stepped in front of it and just moved out of the way as people came in and came out. Um, and that's a different model than the model we're sort of talking about here, which is this like high value model. And well, so many and it, and once again, I'm going to say this, maybe not. You just have to design intentionally to yeah. support your model. Now, if you've got a Walmart design and you're trying to go up on your prices, there's a disconnect. That's right. Okay. And if you're charging really, really low prices and you have a beautiful Taj Mahal place, there's a disconnect also. And people don't trust or something. Yeah, and they get let me, nervous, let me, right? Let me, like, throw, let me throw something else out at you that it's really hard to, um, can we, you know, when you asked me if you could prove it, what came to me is, it's, it's, it, how do you prove it? We see somewhere between 10 and 20% increase in um, revenue when chiropractors redesign their offices, just like that. Okay. That's what we see. Um, and that varies depending on how big their practice is and whatever, when they move, that's a whole nother thing that they're dealing with. But saying that it also does something to the psychic of the doctor. Oh yeah, we have were talking a beautifully about that. Yeah. Space. Yes, yes, we're definitely going to address that today. And the staff. Yes. And it, it's a it creates a sense of pride. It's like putting on a nice outfit. It's not just about the patients, it's also about the people who work there day in and day out. Exactly. And it creates that you know, a law, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it that's that's what you put out is what those people are expecting. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, you, it can't be disconnected. It, if it's oh, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, when I worked in that Walmart type practice, I mean, just driving to work and just walking in the door, you know, in my mind, as it, I was still in my 20s at that point, it's like, man, this place is a dump. And none of the doctors were ever proud to work there, even though we would be considered on paper and amongst all of our peers as really, really successful. We were, you know, making great money. We were seeing a lot of patients. We were getting great results, but you'd walk in there and be like, can we redesign this place? Cause this place is a dump, but the owners knew what they were doing. They knew that if they, just as you said, if they made it look like a Giorgio Armani, or if they're walking into a Tesla dealership, you would have terrified these patients because they would have looked around and said, I can't afford this care. Look at this place. It's way too fancy. Oh my goodness. It is that, that happens to some of them. <laughs> so you, it does. So the, the key point here is no matter what design you do, and uh, I'm I'm taking what you've given me. No matter what kind of design you do, it has to match the ideal client's expectations, not just the expectations of care, but the expectations of affordability and what they would want in their community. Exactly. So sometimes, yeah, if it if you want to deal with athletes and you want it to look like uh, a sweaty gym. Maybe that's the right thing for your market. But if you don't, you don't. You just have to identify the market first. So I think exactly. people have learned a lot. This is stuff we say in the Chiropractic Success Academy like all the time. And I hopefully like if we say it the thousandth time and we get a bunch of different experts from a bunch of different fields like you to say it as well, people will start to finally hit it like, oh, I have to know who my ideal client is. You have to know who your ideal client is. I'm gonna, ideal say, I'm gonna add something to it. 
I mean, we've all been in, and we're using Walmart. We've all been in the Walmart that's new and fresh and the oh, Walmart nice that's one. gotten I a, tired. I have a really nice one right down the street. The, I yeah. don't even consider it a Walmart. Exactly. So, and I'm not saying that um, you, once again, you have to design to your ideal client. But remember, the other thing we're doing here is we're trying to create trust. So if your office is dirty, if your office is ripped up tables with duct tape on them, you're not creating trust. Do you follow me? You are take, I don't, it can be as bare bones and simple and as clean Walmart design as possible. Sure. But if it's dirty and it's torn up and ripped up and stuff, and that's one thing we see that it's like, you don't even see it anymore. The chiropractor just, it's like you're in it for a while and you don't see it anymore. And so right. we suggest get, get somebody that you trust to walk through it with you and critique it and get yes. all those things stuck all over the walls off, you know, all the tape stuff on the walls and all, just declutter, declutter. And you'd be surprised at what your image, what it does to your image. It's like cleaning out your closets, you know, how it makes you feel better. Yeah, I have three lovely uh, interns. They're FTCA, uh, CSA interns, and uh -huh. we meet once a month, and they they do that for me. So I have them sort of secret shop and run through all the FTCA and CSA content and items, and then they they break it. They try to break it. They see what doesn't work. They see what That's what's awesome. just. And also, that was the first. I also, in exchange for their internship and the work they put into it, I give them. We, we have a monthly meeting where I start to impart some of this advice to them. And the first one we said was, you have to do a personal survey of your workspace like every single day. When you pull into the parking lot, you have to look around. Is there trash in the parking lot? You'd be surprised how many doctors like just walk over the trash in their parking lot. Or there's like a wadded up piece of paper, you know, like a piece of face paper that never quite made it into the basket when you were like Kobe and you tried to shoot it in the basket and it didn't make it in. Like the piece of paper, face paper with the greasy face juice on it, and I'm just sitting there on the, just sitting there on the floor, and you just walk right past it because you've got more stuff to do. Like you have to take the ownership of making sure that all that stuff's clean. And I've been guilty of not doing. That. I mean, I learned it the hard way. I didn't, I didn't just know this information. I learned it the hard way. You, unfortunately, in this business, sometimes the hard way is your practice turns into a ghost town. Because people have voted with their feet and they don't tell you. Uh, there are definitely some awesome patients that will tell you like when they've had bad customer service or uh, when the parking is not easy for them or what, like they'll give you feedback, but like 90% of them will give you no feedback whatsoever. They just vote for their feet. They don't come back. And you, you start to wonder like, well, what the heck happened? Well, you haven't updated your office since you bought an office that hadn't been updated since the eighties. <laughs> And then you, you bought it in the 2000s and you haven't updated it since. Well, it's 2020 something now. So we're running on 40 years of no updates. Yeah. They still have those things you talked about. They still have like the brochure holders on the wall. No one even does brochures anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the brochure thing on the wall. Or you, even worse, you have the like the paint is ripped off where you rip the brochure holders off the wall and then you never paint it over it. <laughs> it's it's sad it's like yes it's just basic maintenance i know it's um well it's we talk about um cleanliness i think we've got five points and we've got cleanliness datedness 
are okay. cleanly, clean being one thing, clean and not over cluttered. I mean, how clean are your bathrooms? That's the first it's thing you can do. amazing how important yes. bathrooms are. It's something you have control over. Yes, that you, you have, have control, control over. Yes. And if you don't have control over it, I know I had a um, a conversation with a, what was he? He was a psychiatrist and they were talking about spaces and a lot of them rent space in a building and how can they control that? And it's like, you can make a choice whether you're going to be in that building or not, you know, yep. because that whole curb appeal is all part of it. You know, you think about when you're selling your house, if you're ever selling your house, the real estate agent is looking at curb appeal and they're looking at how they see things when they first move in. Have you ever been through that? Oh yes, absolutely. They do staging. And what they tell you to do is get rid of like 50% of the stuff. That's yeah. That's the oh, first yeah. thing you can do. <laughs> They're right up, up front and honest with you. You know, you're going to throw some money into some landscaping here. Um, yeah. Bought a home near a, a power pole and they were straight up like, look, that's curb appeal. People just don't, they're not going to want to, you know, the price is going to go down if you want to resell this home uh, because it has a power pole near it. People are just going to see it. Uh, so all these things are very honest. Uh, do yeah. you remember the other five points? You should. <clears throat> yeah. So we've got um, cleanliness, whether things are run down and worn out, are things dated? So things date, whether we like it or not, there is no absolute, it never dates design ever. The average is, well, it's seven to 10 years is that window okay. that things date. Your clothes date, your cars date, so do your interiors. They date. Yes. So it hits a point where it gets dated. Even if it's clean and it's good quality, you don't want to throw it out. It does not speak that you are ahead of the curve. It does not speak to you know what you're doing and you're cutting edge. Okay. So it's a little, it's a, even attorney's offices that look big and regal and very, traditional have a date there's a dating in traditional design too so you have to make sure it's not too dated yeah and seven Colors. to ten years is not bad when you consider some of the other service industries it's much more rapid than that the fitness industry you're gonna to have to update your stuff i think like once every two years somewhere well, around the there because it physically tears down or it and the fit, yes you, or you have to it, replace um, that equipment the equipment's just not as cool anymore Exactly. It's not state of the art and cutting edge and everything. <clears throat> so you're And then the um the host the hospitality like restaurants, bars and like their turnaround for dataness is absolutely rapid. Yes. Very much. Very very much. So, so 7 to 10 is not bad. It's just something you really have to consider is in your budgeting, in your in your business planning is that things will need to be updated periodically regardless. So I have a, we have a thing that, that we also say is that, especially to students, you can still buy things that are dated, okay? Sure. You can still buy guest chairs for your waiting room that are ugly and dated. They look like they came from the 80s. They're quality and they keep selling them because people keep buying them, but they yes. are dated. And they're not attractive anymore. They used to be, but they're not anymore. So what we what we tell our students is go ahead and buy 
retail products from a low priced retailer, whether it's a Target or an Ikea or something, but plan to replace it in a year or so because it's going to wear out, but at least it won't be dated. It won't have that first impression of being dated. So that's a big one. So, so let's see, the first one is what is your first impression? When somebody walks in, what is your first impression? Get a second opinion, third opinion, first opinion. Then number two is make sure it's clean and organized. Get rid of all the stuff all over the walls, all the things that are cluttering up the space, like we were talking about staging. Then number three is, are there things that are worn out? Does your Do you need to be painted because it's worn out? Do you need to have your table reupholstered because there's duct tape on it? I'm, I'm amazed, amazed. That's one of your prime pieces. So that's one. And then the, the fourth one are things not just worn out, but are they dated? Because that's the difference. It's worn out, but it's still not dated. You can have keep things that are never wear out, but they've dated themselves, specifically yeah. chairs and colors. And then the last one is lighting. Oh. So lighting oh. is one of those things. Well, now lighting has dated. So fluorescent lighting is very dated now. Do you know that, right? Yeah. You can't even get incandescent lights. So pretty much all LED lights. But what can you do to your environment by changing the light level? If you come in, go into a typical retail strip center and that's where you get space, which is a very common place for chiropractors, especially out of school to start out with. And they sure. rent a space. They're going to get your retail box, which has just got a lay-in ceiling with two by four lights across the top. That's right. And it's just going to give you this big general wash of light, which works for retail, but it doesn't work for an, a, an environment that you want to create healing and environment in. So what can you do with changing the light level? So those are the five easy, inexpensive, for the most part, faceless. Yeah. yeah. So let's add on to that. Okay. And it's one of my favorite things to ask most guests because it comes from an amazing movie called Office Space. <laughs> when the consultants are interviewing the managers in the little private room off to the side and they say, so, Carolyn, what would you say you do around here? <laughs> it's like, so, Carolyn, what does Crossfields do? Like, what do you do for chiropractors in this situation? Why so would they use for- you? What we do for chiropractors that use us is we, we have two main parts of our practice. One is new office space or new clinic space where it is you're leasing or buying and moving into, and you need full space planning, full architectural design, construction drawings, permits, all the way through. So we can take care of all of that complicated process for you because it's really complicated there's three to six thousand decisions that need to be made yeah it's crazy we do it every day the other thing the other part of our business is exactly what we've been talking about you take an existing practice and how do you give it a fresh look how do you it could be part of a rebranding or just you have a new we have a lot of chiropractors that's children are now chiropractors and they're bringing them in and the children are saying, dad, we got to fix this mom. We got to fix this, that type of facelift, that new freshness to it. And especially if you haven't done it in seven to 10 years, it's probably time for it. So those are the two places. And our whole goal is to elevate this profession so that more 
people respect chiropractic and come to it so you can save more lives. I think that uh, new practice thing needs to be touched on just a little bit before we finish because it's a big element because not everybody already has a practice that needs to be refurbished. Some people are starting out and they're doing their build out. So they've leased. So in this scenario, you're saying they've leased a space. The the uh, landlord might be paying for some of the build out. They not, might not be paying for other parts of build out. Some permit processes are going to be needed to be made. The design process cannot be made to look like it was done on the back of a cocktail napkin. It needs to be professional. Um, and you, you guys can do this and you, you don't have to be physically present. You can do this throughout the country, the world, the we known do. universe. We do. We, we started, we started this thing 11 years ago, all virtually because wow. we're here in the Atlanta area. And we That's knew nice that we knew there weren't enough chiropractors in Atlanta. We had to find a way to serve a bigger market. So we created a virtual process of design and now it's become pretty commonplace to have meetings just like we're having right now to so we and and just to go all the way back we have um a six-step process to take you through it and the first step is to evaluate we call it discover very similar to you gathering history on a patient and it's to help evaluate the requirements and the vision for the space and we love to do that before someone goes to look for space because what that does is help them get really focused on how many square feet they really do need to oh, function the awesome. way they want. Yes. And then also the vision that they want for the space. So they know that as they look for things, the stuff that they can't change, the curb appeal or the common areas, are they in alignment? And they're very focused. It also, if you understand the reticular activating mechanism, it helps them find the space faster because they know what they're looking for. It helps their broker find those spaces, et cetera. So anyway, that's step one. Step two is be, you found a space and you're getting ready to sign a letter of intent or sign an agreement to purchase it or whatever, but you're going through your due diligence period and it meets your requirements that we've already established in step one. But now we go into step two where we do what we call space plans, space studies. And we look at all the different ways it can be laid out and that comes up with some soft cost of what it would take to model it. And you were talking about landlord landlord TI. It's called tenant improvement. A lot of times when you're leasing the space, the landlord will put so much money into remodeling it or building it out, depending on what the condition is to start off with. So it helps you evaluate before you sign the lease, whether it's really going to work financially and physically, the layout's going to work for you. Then once you sign the lease, then we go through step three, which develops the architectural drawings and the, the um, three-dimensional lighting, et cetera. Then step four is where we do what most people think of as interior design, where it's the finishes. And, and the reason we separate it is because if there's any place that gets valued engineered, it's the finishes. You can't cut out yeah. rooms, but you can cut out the marble on the counter. Yeah. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. So that's step four. And then step five takes it through the process to make it turn it into permits. So it's the legal information and the engineering documents that have to be created for the HVAC and the electrical and the plumbing. And then it goes, then it can become permit drawings. Then step six, we call it design assurance because you've spent all this time and money. We become the eyes 
and your ears so that you can keep doing what you're doing to make sure that it's being built like it needs to be built. So that's our six step process. When we do a renovation for someone like a facelift, it still goes through those steps, but on a much reduced scope because yeah. you don't need all of that. Okay, well, there's two barriers you can fight back against here that I'm going to throw out to you. Barrier one, because uh, I've interviewed Colin Carr. He's a commercial real estate agent, of a really, really good one, uh, twice on this podcast. Yeah. And the last time I interviewed him, I, you know, he works with a lot of dental graduates as well. And he's talking about the process of a, a new graduate finding space and leasing space and all that stuff. And uh, I said, well, Colin, how far in advance do dental students start looking for their space for their practice. He's like, oh, like a, a year or so before they graduate. And I just internally, I was doing the internal LOL. I was laughing out loud inside because I know most of the chiropractic students are like, uh, if it's not a month or two months, it's like a week or in a panic, it's like a couple of days after they graduate, they're like, okay, I need a space. I need to get a space. So you've got one thing working against you. Uh, and this is just a stereotype. A stereotypes happen for a reason. Uh, these chiropractic students and graduates don't plan far enough ahead to use your services a lot of times because they, they, they just don't think that far ahead to plan out that far. And that's why they end up in a lot of dump situations. So that's one. Two is people are looking at this. They're already trying to start all their practice life on a shoestring as it is. They're probably looking at Crossfields being like, well, that's very expensive, but that's going to cost me too much. So you can address those as you would like. I am just, so, I'm putting the so ball I'd up on the tee and it's up on the tee now and you can smack it away as you feel. Yes, no, so I'd love to. So number one is um, the very first um, little booklet I wrote to start, you know, getting the message out there was something we had seen already and not just with chiropractors, but really any sole entrepreneur is not really understanding the process, yeah. which is what you just said. I'm in total agreement. We believe that you need to start this design process a year before you open. Yeah. And that design process starts with how many square feet I need and what's my vision so that I can start to look for space. Yes. Because there is a, a, there's a period of time we usually look at, we call it, I don't know, about three months or so that we consider, we call it definement. We have some phases and I'll send, I'll send you some links that people can look at it, but we have, there's basically five phases. There's the vision phase, which what do I want to be when I grow up kind of phase? What is my vision yeah. for my practice? Or if you're already in practice, how do I want to change? So that mm -hmm. usually happens 18 months before you actually open new doors. Step then one of the 12, CSA path to success. Step one, that's step one. Yeah. Is, then 12 yeah. to nine months before you open in that two or three month period, you're really what we call definement. And that's really where you're focusing, especially in a new practice, you're really focusing on your business plan, your business model, what kind of practice you're going to have, how much money it's going to create for you, what's your, um, you know, what location and you go from location, you go from really big, hey, I want to be in the Northwest to the actual block of area that you want to be on. And that takes time. That's why the real estate agent is saying it takes that much time to really get clear, especially yes. as a new, because you got to play with what ifs all over the place to make your best decision. So that's about a three month period. Then we put, go through a period we call search and find where you're looking for space and you're looking for money. 
because both of those things are important. But now you know and you can validate how much money you need. And you also can also validate more clearly the location that you want to be in. And we see that take four months, four months of searching. Yes. It once again, it always depends on the area that you're in, how available space is. You know, if there's a glut of space like there was in 2008, it may not take you that long. But if, you know, it goes through different periods, different parts of the country, then, the, then that's where you'd actually come up with a space plan, et cetera, in, during that period before you sign the lease so you know you're going to fit and you know how much it's going to cost. Then the next phase of the design process takes about two months, eight weeks, between the actual development of the architectural design, engineering, and permitting before you start construction. That's an average, okay, depending on, it can go less if you don't have as much to do, but it can get bigger depending yeah. on you have a large practice. Then it typically takes in a white box, what we call a white box, gray box, which we can talk about that later too, but where you are starting pretty much from scratch, it usually takes about three months to build out. So, and <laughs> right now it could take even longer because oh, there's sure. a weird... Uh, what do we call it? Supply chain issue going on. So, but if you add all of those, that time frame up, it's the first six months you're getting your vision. But once you got the vision and you know you're going to go forward and open a practice, give yourself 12 months before you open that door. Yeah, it's amazing this stuff isn't, I mean, you, you guys are obviously teaching on some level at Life University, but this is not, this stuff is not discussed in chiropractic colleges at all you know maybe it's 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 mentioned a little bit but you know the the students they they spend so much time on the stuff that really is you know it's very important to to learn how to diagnose appropriately and do all the things that you're going to pass your boards but then you're left out on the curb not knowing any of this other like you you're a year and a half behind so the students get their diplomas they get their license they're like ready to take on the world. And we can remain positive about this. Like chiropractors are wonderful people. They're very well-intentioned. They have a really good purpose for existing on planet earth. They wanna do the right thing by people. I don't think they're empowered enough to understand how the game actually works. So then they get out, they get the license and they, they're looking around. They uh, well, this thing that I thought was just gonna sort of like magically manifest for me is not here. So now I got to go work for some douche nozzle down the street who's just going to rip me off for my labor as an associate. Or like they've got to like now they've got to panic because student loan payments kick in in six months, and and if it takes a year, they're already going to have they're going to have to work somewhere for six months working on someone else's dream instead of working on their own dream. So if anybody could at least like get to the students year one of school at the end of year one and be like, look, you guys have been doing a lot of the basic sciences and you've been working your butts off trying to pass these tests. But let me tell you something, you need to work on what your dream is now. You need to work on where you might want to pursue this dream now, instead of waiting until you graduate and just sort of say, well, I guess, you know, my boyfriend is here in town. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll practice here. Or, you know, my hometown is in Indiana. I guess I'll just go back to my hometown, not even understanding the business environment of your hometown at all. Um, th this is part of our mission. So you yes. support, you support, we have the same mission. Yes. And, 
and the chiropractic success academy with me and dr kevin Crit. that's why we all have the same mission because we all we all have these conversations and it all is the same purpose to elevate people but sometimes you have to stomp your foot on the ground and be like wake up people you've got to you've got to be respond like if you're going to be a successful professional responsible person you got to take successful professional responsible action and that means thinking this stuff out much earlier than you think this, no one is going to figure this stuff out for you people are complaining right now that the cost of education is too high. They don't get paid enough when they graduate. No one told you in the beginning, sadly enough, when you started this chiropractic education process that not all of us make it. <laughs> like this isn't um, teaching school, I guess, where if you go through your teaching school and you get your teaching diploma, you're probably gonna be a teacher and you're probably gonna have a teaching career for life, you know, if all things work out. This is the thing where you're going in. This is like trying to be maybe like a professional athlete. It's got, you're a professional, which means not everybody makes it. Only the best will get the best. And the ones that are around telling you that right now survived. The, the vast graveyard of chiropractors that disappeared along the way and failed, you don't hear any of that from them because they're gone. So, yeah. I, I just don't understand how we can't be honest with people from day one. Look, you're not all going to make it. So if you want to make it, you better take this thing very, very, very seriously. You better get right with your maker and get right with how this whole operation works and get right with who you are as a person and what you want. And you better show some really significant commitment to it, not just significance in your grades and significance in passing your boards but significance in doing this whole thing the best you possibly can. Absolutely. Last piece. Okay. Crossfields is probably pretty darn expensive. This has got to be expensive. Uh, well, we're not cheap. Yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> we're not you Walmart. Did it. <laughs> you, you did it. You passed so the test. We are, um, our goal is to help everyone. So we have a lot of resources to help the students that are more do-it-yourself, okay? Yeah. We have educational resources. That's where we started. We actually started teaching before we started doing offices. So we started teaching Great. at Life in 2010. It was 2011, 2012 when we said, hey, maybe we can make a business out of this and help because we were being asked and how could we do this? So we have a lot of training. I'm going to give you a link to some free resources. There's a checklist on the process that you need to go through. I was that I talked about that five step, five phase. I've got a whole checklist of things that need to happen in each one of those phases. Um, we've got free floor plans available for you to dig through. We, you can purchase a hundred floor plans for like 50 bucks and there's a discount to your listeners. We also have a designed for you already put together decorator package that you can just use to guide you through it. So we're doing everything we can to help support the do-it-yourselfer because you have more time than you have money, if you follow yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So we're doing everything we can. At the, at the same time, we have a lot of students come to us for those first two phases, and then they have enough marching orders that then if the landlord has an architect that's going to help them, they have, a, they have a guiding light to help get there. Great. If, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. So we do everything we can to support it. 
I will say that our most ideal client, if I want to, our ideal client is the yes. chiropractor that has um, more, not enough time to get everything done. He's trying to do stuff. So he wants to hire experts to do things for him. So it's like Great. hiring that, you know, it's like doing yourself turbo tax versus hiring the CPA to manage your taxes through the year. It's a difference right. in where they are with their practice. Yeah. And the cost, the cost benefit analysis is 10 to 20% revenue improvement. Yes. That's okay. what we see. We do. And and okay. as I say that 10 to 20% revenue improvement with the same, almost immediately Yeah. with the same patient base. So most practices that are moving, their goal is to expand. So their goal is to increase their patient base. Right. But what we what we're seeing is 10 to 20% within the first month before that patient base has had a chance to elevate to its capacity. So perhaps instead of people stressing about growing, first they should stress about updating. Well it's update. part of it's part of growing. Yes. Yeah. Update and then consider expansion, scaling. Update exactly. and then scale instead of putting so many calories into scaling, which burns a lot of calories. Uh, I would say in a, in a calorie comparison, it's probably more calorie burn to try to scale than it is to try to update your current facilities. And I will say this about updating your facility. There are inexpensive ways to do it for the most part. Um, like we talk about paint and lighting and just cleaning up and everything, but there is a point of no return where you don't want to spend yeah. so much money in your existing practice that it starts to make, and we can help you with that decision. We can help process through that with you. We do you that all the time. Money have, pit, yeah. The money have, pit clause. You're like, Hey, nope. Money pit. Stop now. <laughs> and if you own the space versus you lease the space, that's a big difference in what you're going to put into it and where, where you're going to invest. Well, you're a consummate professional. You obviously know what the heck you're talking about. Your team is fantastic. Uh, you guys are very supportive of the profession and we need uh, all the support we can get. So we, especially from outside forces. So we appreciate that as well. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously I recommend, I mean, you get two thumbs up for me and I haven't used your services yet, but uh, now it weighs heavily on my mind as me and my wife design a new facility or, or we're talking about, we're in that six month dream phase right now. So, okay. so uh, and, and my wife didn't realize that it does take that long to dream. Like, no, it does take that long to dream. So uh, once we get out of that, now let's have to seriously consider Crossfields as a way to, to understand this a little better. We'd love to help you. You know, we'd love to help you. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Uh, um, maybe we can design some more pointed questions and even come back again for part two a little bit later. Oh, I'd love it. That'd be great. Okay. That'd be great. Thank you. And yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. Uh, when I say goodbye right now, it's also going to end the podcast. So we will be done. Uh, and we can talk off air. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and thank you so much for what your team does. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And sir. everyone, everyone check out those gifts that they're giving away. Cause they're giving away some good, good information. It's not, it's not fluff by any means. Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Bye. <laughs>